welcoming back Mr. Jeff Don, but this time it's not Terminator 101, it's Eddie Green's 101. Right on, Ed Green. I imagine this is a huge move up. Um, I'm sure this is now you're making millions at least a year off of this, <laughs> millions of compliments and, and uh, internet posts. But I had such a great time two years ago. It was about two years ago right now. It was March, I believe, 11th, 2019, that we spoke for two and a half hours. Wow. So I'm back today for an hour, hour and a half of, of more of the same or new stories, whatever you want to hear. Yes. So um, what I'm going to do uh, really quickly is I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to disconnect you and then reconnect you because it is alarming the 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 lag that is happening right now. So one second, we're going to disconnect and I'm going to bring him back in. Let's do this one more time. We tried this. Let's let's try this. All righty. Here we go. OK, we're back. And can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Excellent. It looks like we're linked up and we'll see how long this lasts. What the hell is up? What what the hell is up with this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're just so instantly, you know, we're so used to just instant gratification with everything. Yeah. What do you mean it takes how many minutes to get to the sun? That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But um like you said, the last time you came on, it was it, it it was a real focus on your your career. And then of course we talked heavily about Terminator. Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger, all that stuff. I, but I also think you were in Hawaii when we talked. I, I believe just finished season nine, or we were in the middle of season nine of Hawaii Five O. We did one more season, a total of 10 seasons, before the studio finally uh, shut it down. It was still making plenty of money, but our main actor, Alex O'Loughlin, had said, you know what, do I really need to go more than 10 years? And that's what happens with a lot of these series. We have these series that are making great money. They're laying golden eggs for the studio. And, you know, the, the cast finally reaches a point where I don't care how many millions you throw at me, I'm done with this. I want to move on with my career. I want to have a life with my family, whatever it is. And they have the right to do that. You know, you feel badly working on a successful show for 10 years. I did uh, over 230 episodes on Hawaii Five-0. It represents a quarter of my entire career in the film business. And I could have gone a few more years with that. It would have been nice to retire. I'll be retiring in a few years. But it wasn't meant to be. So I'm going to thank my lucky stars. Coming from a film history where you work on a film for a few months at a time, and then you're laid off, basically. You wait for another film to come up. You're lucky to do two films a year. But you never you never have the kind of, of a guarantee that a long-running TV show gives you. And it, 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 it makes you stronger and better at what you do, but it also kind of makes you lazy. You learn where to run and where to coast because you know what it takes to get the next episode done. You know how long it takes to get those prosthetics designed, approved, tested, and in your hands to actually apply to the actor. You start to learn these things, so you learn when to run and when to coast. And uh, now that I'm back away from that, it's, uh, you know, I got to go back and, and hit the ground running like I, I did for the first 30 years of my career. And that's fine, too. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's definitely an interesting thing because, um, well, I mean, how did so you finished this right before COVID started, right? So this is the obligatory uh, COVID talk because this is still very much a thing that's happening. But the last time we talked, COVID was not a thing. So how has COVID affected just 
your career in general? Well, COVID, of course, affected the film and television industry stronger than it did just about any other industry. Whether you're talking about, um, you know, hotels and motels or airlines or restaurants, those were impacted greatly, but they still stayed open. There were still people flying. There were still people in hotels. There were still people buying to-go food in restaurants. And, of course, they were very um, public because most people can relate to that. People go to restaurants. They fly on planes. Film and television industry was what shut down 100%. Zero filming for like eight, nine months. And it was devastating for the film industry. It's something we kind of get used to because it's a, it's a feast or famine industry. You know, we're a bunch of gypsies waiting for the phone to ring for the next TV show or film, and it may last for two months. It may last for 10 years in my case. But we're kind of used to the idea of being unemployed and then reemployed again. Well, this came along, and I was very fortunate because I'd just come off a year of my last season of Hawaii Five-0. I was planning on taking a few months off, and all of a sudden, I had this forced time off that I had money in the bank for. I didn't want to work during that time. And uh, so it's okay for me. Now that it's been about a year, we're still at a very, um, uh, 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 very much a smaller uh, workforce out there going on. It's somewhere between um, 50 and 70% of what it was before COVID, but it is improving. This time of year, things start to slow down because a lot of the TV shows go on hiatus. They shut down about right now and they fire up again in about three months. So the industry will go from being somewhat busy now to not being very busy in the next couple of weeks during that, that, uh, that time. So I'm anticipating wanting to work and going back to work in the next few months. I've been fine up till now, but um, I'm, I'm now going to kick it into gear and look for a, a film or a TV show starting in the next few months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't it so cool because, you know, a lot of what shuts down, right? So, I mean, I can't relate to what you're talking about because I'm not a makeup artist. I'm not an Academy Award winner. But for something like podcasting, something that, you know, does provide a a form of income for a lot of people, it's really cool in the day and age we live in that you can still do it. Like, I've gotten so used to this virtual podcasting thing that, you know, I mean, you really have to look at it one of two ways. Yes, it's a it's a tragic thing that happened, but there are lots of ways. And I'm sure like you figured out a lot of ways. Like were there times when you were um, doing whatever you were doing, but did you did 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 you do it virtually? Like did you have to do it over video call or was that never a thing? Like were you already done and just kinda uh, waiting for your next job by the time all this happened? Well before this all happened, we were so used to face-to-face. -face. Communication, yeah. when you look at the, per the percentage of different things that contribute to communication, actually talking is a very small part of it. It's body language, it's attitude, it's how we're reading somebody else's face, it's, it's tone. There's so many different ways to communicate that aren't just grinding out one word after the other. So I've always been a salesperson when it comes to selling ideas. It might be selling myself on a film, selling a prosthetic that's going to cost $20,000 that they may not want to pay for, selling people to come work for me, whatever it is, I like to sell ideas. And that really requires doing it in person. You know, we get, uh, with the last interview when I did, we did it over the phone. So there was, I didn't even know what you looked like. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. You knew what I looked like. Yeah. Well, you did because I sent you a bunch of pictures. 
Um, and that was fine. But I do like this much more. I'm looking into your eyes because we're doing this on, on over a Zoom, over, um, over the Internet. This will, of course, be a, um, a, an audio-only podcast for you. But I, I like this. I'm more comfortable in front of people. Um, I haven't gotten involved with the business. I've, I've done some um, in-person lectures over the last year. I've done um, other interviews over the last year. I haven't worked or sold any ideas like we're doing right now. So this is the way it is of the future. Even when COVID goes away, people are going to be doing this over their phones and over the computers more than in the past. I'd go, you know what? You want to meet me? I'm living in Bend or I'm living in Portland, Oregon. You're in Los Angeles. How about tomorrow afternoon? I'll be in your office tomorrow afternoon. And I jump on a plane and I fly down there because I want to sell myself. Yeah, I can I can get yeses about me being hired or me being, um, uh, you know, uh, spending the production's money much easier if I do this in person. I mean, I've I've been known to lay down on the floor of a director's office and show him different body positions. And, OK, the way we're going to hide the arm and do this gag of the missing arm is is like this. And there's where camera is over there. And I'm here as the actor. And this is how the gag is going to work. You can still do that over over uh, over Zoom, but it's just not as fulfilling to me. For sure, yeah, especially when there's lags and delays, and and uh, thankfully it doesn't seem to have hit us just yet. It seems like we're still riding very, very, yes, very smoothly. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it it it's absolutely crazy. But what's crazier is the fact that you said that you only like. What you're doing after this is you're going to a movie for the first time in a movie theater. Yes. Um, my son, who is a huge film nut, he's 32 years old, went to Chapman Film College. He's the fourth generation in our family in the film business. He worked as a PA, a production assistant on Hawaii Five-O for a couple of years. He's, he's gotten deeper into the industry over the years. He's recently moved from Los Angeles up to Portland, and he's going to live up here from now on getting into the business up here because there is quite a bit of filming up here also. Um, and, and, and I'm very happy that with that because my, now my daughter who's 25 and my son are both here in Portland. Um, he, uh, um, let's see, where was I? I'm, I'm losing myself here all of a sudden. It just shows you with age, you just go <laughs> off on a different track and suddenly it's like, excuse me, Mr. Don, you're still there. Yep. Yep. You now my mind always likes to run about five seconds ahead of my my mouth wants to write about five seconds ahead of my brain. Um, but, uh, yeah, we are going to a movie later today. He found a theater that's now open. They have, uh, you, you have to wear a mask. You have to be six feet apart. It's all prearranged seating. We're going to go see Nobody, the, uh, the big action film that's coming out that looks, the trailer looks fantastic. So I'm very excited about that because I haven't seen a movie in over a year, yeah. at least in the theater. Yeah, yeah. I think the last one I saw was um, The Invisible Man. Did you see The Invisible mm -hmm. Man? Wow. That was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah. What would you think of that movie? Um, the new one I liked very much, you know, different take on it. I've watched all The Invisible Man movies over the years, including Paul Verhoeven's that he did a few years ago. And, um, you know, we'll continue to see Invisible Man movies, but I like the take on this one. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely... Um, but I actually really have a soft spot for that, for the Kevin Bacon one, Hollow Man um from mm -hmm. from paul that's a that's a very voyeuristic kind of one like this one is more like the one from who directed it uh what the heck's his name 
the new one. Lee Winnell, the guy that worked on Saw and Insidious and Right. Yeah, he's the one that directed that. And that was a much more like that was a there was a lot more focus on like traumatic relationships and and uh and I and, and I really appreciated that take on that as well. Um but yeah, that's the last movie I saw in theaters and then <laughs> I I've talked to a couple people about this and you're the perfect person to talk to about this. Isn't it crazy? Something like COVID-19 happens, right? Like a pandemic happens. And it's not that long until you realize that I always thought there was a back catalog of movies waiting to be released. And you really realize that it doesn't take that long until there are no new films to come out because, you know, you would think there's like a back catalog, just wait, like just, a shit ton of these movies waiting to be released, but there really isn't. Yeah, you would you would think that. Well, the reason comes down to the business of the dollar in Hollywood, of course. When you say we're going to make a $5 million movie or a $200 million movie, when you start spending money and filming that, the clock is ticking on that money that's normally borrowed. So your $100 million movie, if it comes out nine months a year after you started filming it, which is typical, you aren't that vulnerable for all that money that you've borrowed and have no, nothing coming in on yet. If you make a movie and it takes two or three years to come out, you're hurting. That thing's sitting on the shelf like, uh, like James Bond right now. They finished it a year ago and they're still waiting for a, a wide release on it because they know that that's where the money is made. We've seen these movies get released and they make some movie, but some money, but nothing close to what they do on opening weekend when the whole world is watching them in live theaters. And then a few weeks go by and it's, it's gone because there's 20 other films that are coming along that need that first, second, and third spot where they're making 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in their opening weekend. So we ran out of movies very quickly because they attempted to either be screened through uh, uh, streaming services, which has its ups and downs, or they're on hold right now waiting for mass audiences to fill theaters. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. But then you have stuff like Netflix, right? Um, and it just seems like Netflix has endless amounts. It seems like Netflix is filling that hole. And Netflix certainly is. Netflix, you know, we all know that they're, whether it's uh, Amazon or Netflix or various segments of our, of our world are benefited greatly. I just heard yesterday on NPR that, that Target, did 20% more business last year because they stayed open. So markets, Home Depot, Target, these places that stayed open all year with things that people need benefited 10, 20, 30% over all years before that. Then there's the other side, the movie theaters that are going out of business, all the restaurants that are going out of business, you know, all the people that are, that are losing their jobs and their homes and their businesses and even their lives. 25% more hard liquor and beer sold last year, 25% more um, um, uh, alcohol-related diseases than in past years. Wow. I mean, the suicide rate, everything, it's crazy right now. So let's get the hell over this thing. Yeah. And have you been vaccinated yet? Uh, I got my first shot a couple of days ago, yes. And how do you feel? I felt fine. I've, I, I'm, uh, I'm on the fence when it comes to vaccinations. Because Me too. I, you know, I fall into some of the uh, conspiracy theories. Yes. I research them thoroughly. But at the end of the day, when you work in the film business, typically as a department head, if I got the flu, 
I would just put a mask on, wash my hands and go to work. No matter how miserable you are, it's almost like death by deal memo. You know, you're expected to go to work and do that. The world has changed now, but I can't tell you how many times in my career, when I, for the first 40 years of my life, I missed two days of work. And that was because I was in the hospital with appendicitis. And that was during the film uh, To Live and Die in L.A. back in the 80s. Um, you, don't, you don't do that. You don't stay home. You just grind it out, and it's miserable. So I started with uh, a flu vaccines about 20 years ago and haven't had the flu since. So as much as I don't like the idea of vaccines, to me personally, I found them to work. So I openly took that vaccine. I'll get another one in about three weeks, and I'll be fine. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny you say the conspiracy theory because I, you know, I don't. I try to be as you know level headed about stuff, but I've seen way too many. I've seen way too mm -hmm. many, you know, movies. I've seen way too many real life yeah. cases as well, not even fiction. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I believe that man did land on the moon. I believe that uh, the Earth is not flat. Some of them are just so ridiculous. I don't even want to give my time to it. But then there's some of them where you go, wait a minute. That sounds like there could be some truth in that. You know, it's just like a rumor. Like, uh, oftentimes rumors are based on a little bit of truth. Where there's smoke, there's fire. So if there's a little smoke, I'm interested in finding out what the source is, you know, before disregarding it is, oh, that's just a rumor. That's just a conspiracy theory. You know, I'm not a conspiracy nut, but if you have a conspiracy theory, I'll hear you out. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like I've actually reached out to a couple of those flat earthers and uh, I, I, I seriously want to talk to them. Like I really want to talk to these people who are so convinced that and look again, have I actually been into space? Have I personally seen what the no, I have not. I'm basing everything on photographs. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, some people want to, I just wonder if there's one flat earth conspiracy person out there that actually believes it, or, or is this just, you know, their 15 minutes of fame. I've watched some of the documentaries and such, and yeah, they have some interesting points, but for every point they have, there's a dozen Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and you know, these different experts, astronauts, photos, it goes on and on and on. So I'm sorry, I'm a scientist more than I am a conspiracy believer. So you show me enough science and I'll make my own mind up. But then there's, uh, there are people out there who don't believe in science. <laughs> like like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says, you know, the, the, the thing about science is it's true whether you believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. You know? He's, he's, I mean, a, he's if, got if a you, great... If you can show the data and the data is black and white, then where you go from there? other than just not believing the data. Yeah. But then you got to wonder why, how do people become this way? How do people, is it just because they want the fame or is it because they have, was it the way they were raised? Were they raised in such a way that they just can't believe anything? They have trust issues. Like what is the cause of a conspiracy theorist? Like I said, I'm not a conspiracy nut. Well, there's, if you ask the conspiracy nuts out there, if they're a nut, they're all going to say the same thing I just said. No, I'm not. To them, it's believable or at least plausible enough to give it credit. And you throw enough facts. I mean, I, if I threw enough facts, whether they were true or false to you, that you were an alien, you would start to, after a while, go, huh, 
You know, there are some things Jeff just mentioned that I've wondered about, and I don't know. It's like in the movie uh, um, Matrix, when they see the cat, they go, oh, no. That cat means they just changed over the program in the Matrix, and it's deja vu. Deja vu in the program where they change it over. And there's not a person out there that watched that movie that didn't go, huh, that's probably not true, but that would make sense. <laughs> you know? So conspiracy theorists that really go down that rabbit hole, I think they just play into that more and more and more, and they stop listening to the other side, just like politics. If you listen to enough conservatives, then the, the leftists are a bunch of snowflake idiots. If you listen to enough liberals, then conservatives are a bunch of you know, moronic people, too. You've got to listen to all the information and make your own mind up. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good points. I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's to take everything at face value. I think that's a, it's, it's just a, I, I, I don't take everything at face value. I, I don't, I can't, you know, I no. have to, I think you have to, you have to do your, do your research. You have to be cautious, you know, and, Going, mm -hmm. going back to the vaccine, I said, I, I said, wouldn't this, if I was writing a movie, if I was writing a, a, a thriller and this is my plot, right? A pandemic sweeps the, the globe and it's really, it's really realistic and it's very much in the vein of contagion from a few years ago. And, <laughs> and, and now to get rid of the masks, because who wouldn't want to get rid of the masks, right? Like that's like, we all hate masks. We're humans. We don't, we don't like to be out in 80 degree weather wearing something covering our face. So of course the way to get rid of it is get fully vaccinated, right? And then of course everyone's mm -hmm. going to do that because, but then what's in the vaccine? Like why, you know, why are they pushing it so much? I understand why they're pushing it so much, but is there any ulterior motive going on here? This is the way my mind thinks. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, you're not the only one. The majority of people out there question it. And when this first started up, I came up with my own thing that I, I, you could make a movie out of it. It's not what I believe, but this is the kind of thing that would take off if people started talking about it. You've got a world that's concerned about each country and state's budget that keeps dwindling, a lot of it having to do with the age of our seniors. All right? Years ago, people had a life expectancy. They were going to die at 60, 65 years old. Now the life expectancy for men is upper 70s and low 80s for women. And the kind of money that it takes in medical care and medical and, and hospitals and pension plans that are all underfunded, we're running out of money for our senior citizens that are growing exponentially every year. Let's come up with a, with a, a, a virus that only attacks for the most part, the agent. And let's come up with a vaccine that lowers the lifetime expectancy. I don't truly believe this. I've never heard this from anybody, but I thought what a great movie to make yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Because nobody can prove that that's not true. And there's enough people that want to believe it would go, ah, I'm going to go watch that movie. You know, so that's how these conspiracy theories start with someone like me going, huh, what if? And like I said before, I don't truly believe this to be true. But if you were sinister enough and smart enough and forward thinking enough, it would be a way to save trillions of dollars in the future. Do you what do you subscribe to where where it came from? Um, I believe it came from a, a Wuhan laboratory. 
okay. myself. Um, whether it was cross-linked to the Wuhan wet market that was right there, whether it was an accident, whether it was an accident gone wrong, whether it was a sinister um, a plan all the way along from China or from any world country, if it was another country planting it there to blame China, all of those things are possible. I don't know if we'll ever know it. I do believe that it was avoidable. I do believe that technology and information could have avoided this. Um, I don't blame any, I, I, I certainly do not prescribe to Asian anger right now because that's not who I am. You know, nowadays, if you say you're not a prejudiced person, immediately they want to tag you as, oh, you're clearly a bigot just by saying that. Well, I've never been a prejudiced person in my life. And I believe in, in, in all the freedoms. I just don't believe in people forcing their freedom, their, their, their um, opinion of their freedoms on me and my family. Um, so I believe it was avoidable. I don't think that it was intentional as many people, many theorists feel. I think it's just something that was another experiment or a random um, uh, um, wet market event that created this. Did you see, um, did you see, please tell me you saw the second Borat movie? I have not. Okay. I, I, I have not. And I love the first Borat movie. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I'm to the point now, as much as I love the first Borat movie, I just didn't, to pull the wool over on people's eyes as brutally as they did the first time was funny to me, but I didn't want to see it again. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, without spoiling, because I hope you do check it out at some point, the COVID-19 is a big factor in, in the second Borat movie and uh, a lot of twists and turns that happen with it. And it's just, it's just funny. And, and, and to the other point you made there, I have heard the things about uh, uh, stop Asian hate and I have no clue. Like when I say that I don't watch news, when I say that I don't look at or, 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 or try to find because I'm so tired of just the negativity that surrounds it. Yes. I kind of, I have to rely on, in this case, Jeff Don, who's on my podcast and is, and is clearly more educated in it. So is, is the Asian hate because of COVID-19? It's a lot of it because of that right now. And, um, I wasn't really aware my naivete of being a white guy, you know, being raised in America, I had Asian hate naivete until I worked with and met Daniel Day Kim. He played um, a character on Lost, and then he played Chin Ho Kelly on, on Hawaii Five-O. And Daniel is an incredibly intelligent um, Korean man that is very aware of Asian prejudice and hate. And I remember uh, as an Academy member for many years, I watch a lot of documentaries. And I watched a documentary called The Slanted Screen many years ago. And it was a documentary about of the agent prejudice in Hollywood. I didn't even know about this, but the amount of prejudice that went into the characters, you know, the big buck tooth character that works at the laundry that, uh, you know, runs around in a coat and rides a bicycle. I mean, that's what was portrayed for so many years. And that was just kind of normal to me. And not until I watched the documentary, which I found out later working with Daniel that he um, was a narrator for 
did it really shock me because we don't think we think of of many of our of our um, our, our groups that are not as privileged as is the typical white male American um, as being victims. The African American um, uh, community is oftentimes portrayed as a victim. There are certain groups that have just as much prejudice and history of slavery and history of of of, of all kinds of horrible things. The the Irish, the 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 Jewish, the um, the Asian, but because they are more consistently not victims, they don't that they go to college, they are successful. Um, I mean, look at look at the we don't hear a lot of prejudice about. Asians being portrayed as the smartest person on the show, mm-hmm. whether it's Hawaii Five O and our medical examiner, or Dexter, on and on and on. You oftentimes, when you want the smartest person on the show, um, how about Grey's Anatomy? You have an Asian woman who's clearly smarter than anybody else in the room the yeah. whole time, and everybody accepts that because we know Asian people to be oftentimes hardworking, very very smart people. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's an assumption. That's a, you know, we're tacking that on as an assumption, but it's a very positive. So we don't hear any negative feedback from that. Yeah. Um, 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 uh, people from Israel and, and Jewish people, they work hard. They go to school. They're very quiet and, 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 and not outspoken. The, uh, you don't have the, um, um, the vocal minority with them so much. So you don't see them as victims. They're not first up on the news every day. So it's interesting right now with the Asian community because there is definitely some Asian prejudice going on in this country and in the world. And a lot of it has to do with with um, the belief, which is partly my belief, of that this all started in Wuhan, China. Okay, There's not an Asian person on the planet that I blame for that because I don't know who might or might not be yeah. guilty of it. So... I might be prejudiced by assuming or by pretty much sure from the knowledge that I have, it's the deep experienced knowledge that it was created over there. But I don't blame the Asian people anywhere for that. But you normally don't hear that feedback so much. I'm getting into politics and all that, but what I'm saying is, is it may not be liked by people, but I think it's not falling on deaf ears. You know, when we think about certain communities, they're not being portrayed as victims. So they don't, they're not first up in the news. They're not, uh, you know, how many Asians are being killed? How many African-Americans? I mean, 61% of America is white. 13% is African-American. 16% are brown or Hispanic people. 6% is Asian. And the other percentage is Pacific Islanders and Middle Easterners and uh, um, Native Americans and such. And you don't, you don't hear about those proportions of victimization like they should be. One would think that there'd be 61% of good and bad people on the news each day relating to white, because that's the proportion of our, of our population. But um, it doesn't mean that we don't have to put a lot of energy into making this world fair and legal and safe for everyone equally. It just means that certain groups right now, because they're not portrayed as victims and they're not the vocal minority aren't getting the attention that others are. Yeah. And then this also circles around and I've talked a little bit about it on a couple episodes of the whole Dr. Seuss 
kind of thing that's been going on, like canceling Dr. Seuss. And that there was a um, I'm not very familiar with the book, but there was a like there's a book that illustrates Asians with slanted eyes and and uh, people are canceling Dr. Seuss because uh, it's inappropriate. And 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 I'm of the belief that, well, one, it's a different time period. We're talking about this mm-hmm. in the 30s, for Christ's sake. Second of all, he's dead. So, I mean, what are you canceling besides his books? And I don't necessarily think that a kid looks at that illustration and goes, huh, there's something wrong there. It's I had a guest on who was very much of the mindset that we just try to find something and then we try to make it negative. So we could find the most beautiful thing. People are going to look at it and go, there's something negative about that. I don't know what it is right now, but there's negativity in there somewhere. And that's what they're doing with Dr. Seuss. And I don't understand it. It's what... uh, Sure. Well, well, welcome to the woke world that we live in right now. I believe that this will will continue helping people and damaging people to a certain point, and then it'll go away because people will realize it's gone way too far. Uh And it uh, it's it's very interesting. Something like Dr. Seuss, um, you know, uh, uh, J.K. Rowling. um, It goes on and on and on with the people that are being called out right now and canceled. It, I would have to, my first impression with Dr. Seuss is that's how I was raised. It should be left alone. It's, you know, it's holy grail of children's books. But to really give a strong, like if I'm doing an interview now and giving my opinion, but the disclaimer here is for me to give a solid opinion on that, I would need to look at the books and have somebody point it out and show me. True. And then I would make the choice of, oh, come on. That's, I don't come across with that at all. I never have. I can't see how people would until you point it out yeah. and, you know, and suddenly say, see, that's, that's prejudice. Um, and I might, I might look at the books and go, mm, I, I don't want to say this, but I have to agree that that does show, you know, uh, Asian people in a, in a negative light. You know, my own high school was the Birmingham Braves. Well, it became the Birmingham Chiefs shortly afterwards. Um, and it goes on and on and on. And what it really comes down to, I remember listening to um, both Don Lemon, a very strong liberal, speaking with uh, Ben Shapiro, a very strong conservative, about the statues that were being torn down. And my first impression with it is that's terrible. It's never been a problem. Why are you tearing down statues of people that clearly were not part of any, you know, Lincoln? that died for the freedom of, of slaves and, you know, people like Grant, who was extremely supportive of freeing slaves and was putting lives, his own life and that of his army um, uh, up for that constantly during the civil war statues like that being taken down. And what Don Lemon said is there was a statue in his hometown and as he was a kid, and I don't remember what it was. I think it was like an Ulysses. It was like a grant, not a grant, but it was a, uh, um, um, I can't remember who the general was for the other side, Sherman or somebody like that. Pardon my ignorance of this. But when he was a kid, every time he would go by that statue, it bothered him. Why is that person that was on the other side represented as a you know, million dollar, 20 foot high bronze statue here? So in that case, I step back and go, all right, it doesn't bother me, but it bothers other people enough that I need to listen to them and give them 51% of the vote. 
If something, you know, like you, we all have a friend or a relative or a mate or a wife where we're on the fence with something. And basically you finally go, you know what? This is more important to you. I'm giving you 51% of the vote. You make the call. And that works out well. So if there's enough of somebody not liking something, whether it's Asian, African-American, Republican, Democrat, whatever, and it makes sense, I step back and go, your call. Just as if it was something really important to me that made sense that I have 51% of the vote, I would expect that. Yeah. Is there any examples of, because you don't ever hear this about white people, right? Like there's no, like white people don't ever get offended by anything. And, and, and we we're both white people. So it's, it's, it's definitely something that is on my mind right now. It's, there's Asian hate, there's, there's African-American hate, there's, there's, uh, geez, I mean, there's hate for every single, but you don't ever really hear white people getting hated. I mean, you do, but white people no. don't get offended by it. White people don't get offended by it. No, I mean, whether it's the word honky or cracker or whatever, it's almost like if a, if a man and his girlfriend are in a fight and you call your girlfriend a bitch, that's bad. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in trouble. And then she, on the reverse, tries to get back to you and she calls you an asshole. You think, yeah, sometimes I'm an asshole. I'm a dude. You know, you almost take it as a, we've learned as men and as white people to take everything as a compliment. Yeah. You can't hurt us. You know, I mean, when I walk into a room now and I work with mostly women because I run makeup departments and most makeup artists are women now. I work with a lot of ethnicities that are, that, are, uh, that are hired by me because I like a diverse team when I'm there. If I'm on, in, in, in Hawaii, I'm hiring um, 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 is it, hopefully a proportion of what is out there. I'm hiring Hawaiians, I'm hiring uh, Japanese, I'm hiring Chinese, I'm hiring uh, Koreans. And that feels good. If I do a picture that has a lot of African-Americans, I'm going to fill my trailer with African-American makeup and hair people. Because I like that balance. I like I, I've had shows where it's predominantly African American, and, and cast members will walk in and they look around, and you know what they're looking at. They're saying, "Is this a bunch of white people, or do I see some of my brothers and sisters in here?" And it just feels good to do that. That's the right thing to do. Um, back to uh, here. I am getting lost again. I go down that road and I fall oh, off, and I love suddenly... it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, but. But you're right, white people do not, and we're going to get all kinds of feedback on this, I'm sure, because it's touching, it's a, touching a lot of things. I, I think that I'm, I'm pretty well spoken on it, and I'm not stepping on toes. But if you're adamantly uh, against or for something, you're going to see our conversation as, as, as a possible threat. Exactly. But I want to just make sure, my dad always used to say, don't feel afraid to stand up in a room full of powerful people, because he was a big makeup department head and, and dealt with producers and directors and studio heads for his whole life. He said, don't be afraid to stand up like in a production meeting with big producers and directors and everybody and voice your opinion, just make sure you're right. And people may not want to hear it, but when they think about it, they're like, okay, I don't like that idea, but he's right. And that's the best way to look at it. Just make sure you're right and of course, right is, a, is an interpretation, but yes. if you feel that you're right, you have to be willing to stand there 
and list a lot of reasons why you believe it's right. But yeah, back to back to the the white people. Um, I mean, I I can't say a thing in a trailer filled with men, women, people of all kinds of sexualities, because the film business is filled with gays and lesbians and and, and transgenders. I remember um, a few years ago when the Me Too thing was going on, the uh, the head of CBS Studios, Les Moonves, was busted and taken down for being a sexual predator. This is, this is known. He was given a large severance and he was kicked out. CBS then went in and started um, HR, human resources, checking out a lot of people, their department heads, people with power, people that could take advantage of other people if they so chose because they had power over hiring them. And I was, I was investigated. I was investigated for several months along with many other people on our show. And it's nerve wracking because they go back and they talk to people for years. And, you know, I've been in the business for 40 years. And thank God I've never been the kind of person that's the touchy feely, you know, person that, that was getting into trouble. But it's still nerve wracking. And at the end, they came back and they said, with myself and my producer from Hawaii 5 they said, we have looked into nine points of harassment that we look for here at CBS. And they ask, you know, has he ever touched you? Has he ever said anything about religion? Has he ever said anything about transgenderism or any of that? And he and, and we have found zero harassment in the case of Jeff Don. We found him to be a tough boss, but he stays within our rules and our limits at CBS, and we don't have a problem with that. So I was vindicated at that point, and it felt good, because you never know. It's like, okay, did I say something to somebody years ago and, you know, getting and and uh, just it was the norm back then but it just luckily i'm just not that kind of person yeah and it paid me back in dividends now but that's that's nerve-wracking right now because they go back and you're canceled sorry cbs you're not working for us anymore other studios here sorry uh that person male or female was uh let go from that studio and they're untouchable now so at least with that you have do justice Right now, we're canceling people before anything is proven. HR through CBS, was uh, I was very impressed with the, the way they did it. And like I told them at the end, I go, look, at the way I see it, there are three things here that can play against people. There is complete fabrications that people come up with, and they're, they're, that's an agenda. I want that person's job. I want to get rid of that person. I don't like that person. That person threatens me in some way or not. And they come up with it out of nowhere. They fabricate it from scratch. Then there's the rumors that get embellished. And that's the same thing. We're going to embellish that. You know, I told, when I speak uh, um, um, for department heading, I tell people, I go, be careful of rumors. Rumors are something that you can barely fuel that explode. Like I had a policy on Hawaii Five-0 that I would never go out with any of my female, I'd never be seen with any of my female workers. Not at, if we meet up at Costco to pick up some more towels or to get a coffee and talk about the next week work, wouldn't do it. I would have a party for everybody at the end of the year in a public place, but I would never do that. And the reason is because I know how rumors go. If I was seen walking out of a Costco at noon with one of my makeup artists, one of my female makeup artists, and somebody saw it, they have nothing to tell people unless they embellish it. 
Yeah. So they say, oh, I saw Jeff and this person walking out, and they seemed friendly to each other. Mm-hmm. Really? And then they tell somebody, and the next person says, yeah, I, I think it might have been a bar or a restaurant. And then the next person says, oh, yeah, it was closing time at a restaurant, and they were both drunk and all over each other. So as insane as that is, that's how rumors happen in the film business. That's how rumors happen in a lot of areas. But people that are rumor-hungry need to embellish them to keep fueling it and keep it moving. So the key is you don't you, you, you nip it in the bud. You don't let one person see you do anything like that by not doing it. And boy, that paid me back in dividends. I never had a rumor once about that kind of stuff because I had rules. So I convey that to people and let them know that rumors can be extremely damaging. And the key with a rumor is never give somebody even a tidbit. Because then if they want to come up with a story, it's an all outright lie. Yeah. And that's easier to discredit from somebody. No, I was never there. You prove I was there. I was never with that person. You're making that up. That's easy to disprove. I think it's just I, like hearing you say that, I understand why you're saying it, but it, you got to agree as much as I do. It's sad that we live in that world that because, I mean, there is literally nothing wrong with a, you're you're a happily married man. You, you're you, you have kids or a kid, but I assume you have kids, right? You have kids. I do. And it's, you mentioned happily married. I got to go back. I was married for 32 years. I'm still very close with my ex-wife. Uh, we divorced many years ago. Oh, okay. And another quick story about that, which um, I didn't want any rumors. When, when I was divorced, I was on Hawaii Five-0, and I hadn't told anybody. I wasn't sharing my private life. But I wanted to start dating again. And I ended up, after being divorced, going on Match.com and meeting a woman that lives here in Portland that I'm still dating. And we started dating. And I thought, okay, I want her to come over here and I got to bring people up to speed so they don't go, what the hell is going on? So I called a meeting. I thought of this as like an Apple phone launch with Steve Jobs or something. I called a meeting into my trailer. This was years ago, the beginning of Hawaii Five-0 when I was over there. And I said, folks, I got something to talk to you about. It was makeup artists and hairdressers. I said, you've all known me to be married. And I was married for 32 years, very happily. Um, we drifted our own separate ways. And we just fell out of love and fell out of lust, the way this business can do to you. Luckily, none of us, it wasn't over a stripper named you know, uh, Fifi or a drug <laughs> habit or a gambling or it wasn't any of that. We just fell out of love. Yeah. And we started the divorce process. We are divorced now. And I'm now dating this woman. And I had these pictures, these eight by 10 pictures of this woman. And I held it up and I said, this is the woman I'm dating. Her name is Belinda. And we've been dating for a while. She's going to come over here and stay with me. And, uh, you know, people were interested in this. And I said, and said well, why are you telling us? I go, because if I didn't, no one would know these facts. Yeah. And to be honest, it's not your business. But at the same time, I know how rumors work. So I still stay in touch with my ex. She actually came over to Hawaii a couple of times with, um, with the family. And I told her to come over with her boyfriend if she wanted to. You know, I mean, wow. it was all very transparent that way. I know, but it was, that's the way it's been. Nice. And... And it, uh, I just wanted to make sure that people were aware enough, not that it's any of their business, but I was 
conscious enough that this could explode into crazy rumors. Because I'm a male, straight male, not that that's important in this business, but if they saw me with a woman, they would assume that I'm having a relationship with that woman. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to have that freedom to bring my girlfriend over, bring her to the set, introduce her to people where people wouldn't go, wait a minute, Jeff's still married, isn't he? And boy, did that work out well. It instantaneously, people came to me later on, and they appreciated it. I had many people come to me over the years and say, Jeff, talk to me about your divorce and how it was so amicable between the two of you and how it happened. So I became kind of the spokesperson for giving people sane advice um, that was based on my experience. And then my girlfriend would come over. She came over many, many times, came to the set many times. Not a peep. Jeff was, you know, Jeff isn't seen with any women. There's not a bit, and it's a small island. If you're going to go out, if you want to have an affair, Hawaii is not the place to do it because it's a small island. And yeah, people yeah. see you everywhere you go. You see people that you know. Yeah. So I'm very happy the way I came up with that idea of just presenting it the way it's been, the way it is, and the way it will be. Like they say, with, with uh, the best way to change is when you don't like the situation in the past, you believe it, uh, it, and it's currently going on now, and you believe it won't change in the future. And that's when people have the desire and the strength to make a change, because it's like, okay, whether it's a relationship or where you live or the way your body looks or whatever, I haven't liked it, I don't like it now, and I don't think it's going to change in the future, and I don't like that, so what am I going to do? I'm going to make my change right now. So, yeah, that's just a bit of my... I mean, here I am, a makeup artist, The last time we were talking about all these makeup stories, right, and right. we're talking politics and woke and, and cancel life. culture and Me Too. I'm telling you. Though. I believe a lot of this will go away, and just as there's been fighting all the way along through our history of of women's rights and African-American rights and rights of everyone, I believe there'll be huge gains here. And then people are going to back off a bit because it just becomes too, you know, it's taking up too much of everybody's air. Yeah. Once we believe that, you know, we've made some major strides forward, I think people are going to go back to, to, you know, whatever else is bugging them for the day. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be, and, and, and a lot of it is because, you know, it's, it's, it's still old fashioned thinking. So I think future generations are going to have less and less of so. this. It's going to, there's going to be less, I mean, it's a bold statement. I could be wrong. I'm a hundred percent okay with being sure. wrong, but I think, I think people are being raised now to understand, to accept more. So I think as time goes on, you're going to see less and less and less of hatred and, and misunderstandings and rumors and, and and it's just unfortunate that this is the time that you and I are stuck in right now. And it is, and a, and a lot of it has to do with people are attached to their podcasts and to their apps and to the news and to all these different things. So we're getting a lot of what's going on in the world told to us by other people. You know, if I'm on a film and traveling around the world, I come back. I don't need to know the news of the world. I've just lived it. You know, I've experienced it. Um, I've done six films in Mexico. Well, needless to say, there's not a bone in me that has anything negative to say about Hispanic people because I've lived with them. I've eaten their food and, 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 and uh, lived their lives. I've been in their families and restaurants and cities and towns. They are exactly like we are. And this is the way it is around the world. The best way to re reduce um, uh, prejudice is to walk the walk and talk the talk of the other people.
You know, when I was raised in Los Angeles, we had gangs, we had forced busing, we had shootings, we had all the things that are still going on there, but it was predominantly with African-American and Hispanics. Well, now that I've lived a life and traveled the world so many times, we're all the same. We're all the same. We all want the same thing. We all want the same respect. We all want to work hard and get some respect and some, so, you know, a lifestyle of freedom and safety back. You know, we, we all want the same things. I've been to Russia a few times. You know, we were all played up with the, the whole Iron Curtain thing of Russians are all bad. They hate Americans and all that. That's not true at all. They want to be just like us. They're fascinated by us. They want our culture. They would like our freedom. They love their own country and their own people and their own culture, but they also respect ours. And the only reason we wouldn't respect theirs is because we've been told not to. We've been taught by our media and by our culture that Russians are bad or African-Americans are bad or Hispanics are bad. So you live that life, you make up your own mind, and you come away going, everybody's equal and everybody deserves the same thing. This will be interesting to see what kind of feedback you get on this, because I'm sure people that are very right-wing are going to read a lot of liberal thinking and talking into me. People that are very liberal are going to see a conservative in me. So we're going to hear strong viewpoints on both sides. The truth of the matter is I'm pretty much in the middle. Now, I, you can call me a liberal uh, a conservative or a conservative liberal. I, I like to stand in the middle and see both sides on the far left and the far right as being ridiculous and out of line, and people closer to me as being a little more open to listening to both sides and coming up with their own decision. And, and, uh, you know, I think one of the, the biggest problems is the fact that we label shit, you know, it's, yeah. I'm a human, you know, I mean, right. I, I, <laughs> I do fall in the middle. I a hundred percent fall. You have to fall in the middle. You have to know, mm -hmm. do I, do I lean left or right? Do I go, you know, which way am I going here? But the fact that we label, I think is, I think that's a problem, I think. But what's interesting is right behind you is a, is a, is a map of the entire world. So you're a very understanding worldly man and, and, and you literally have a room and I love it. That is, there's a, it's a poster. It looks like of the, of the entire globe. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I, mean, I love maps. I've always been a, a hiker and climber and backpacker and outdoors person. I've always liked maps and I, I've, I've been fortunate in my career to travel and work in many countries for months at a time. And it is fun to look at a map and go, okay, um, I've been there, there, there. Where else do I want to go? Yeah. You know, it just, it keeps me, that's the way I look at the world. I don't look at it through the eyes of, a, of an American. I don't look at it through the eyes of an Oregonian or a Portlander or a film makeup artist. I like to look at it at, through the world. Yeah. Because that's what my experience is. And I'm fortunate that way because most people don't have the wherewithal to, you know, work in Canada for, I mean, I've probably lived in Mexico for two years total working on films. I've gone to Europe probably 15 times. I've filmed in Canada three times for months and months at a time. You know, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to travel around the world quite a bit. And it does eliminate prejudice. Yeah. You know, yeah. doesn't mean that if you're in a bad neighborhood and there's a lot of crime in that neighborhood that you're not suspicious of people. That's just being smart. That's being a survivalist. You're going to lock your doors. You're going to drive through. You're going to watch yourself and you're not going to make stupid choices. You know, that's another thing. I believe that when you look at lucky and unlucky people, to me, the one constant there 
is choices. Typically, you look at somebody that's considered unlucky. Now, that doesn't mean that lightning can't strike somebody or people don't just die for no reason. That does happen. Good luck and bad luck. People win the lottery. But most of the time, when you look at an unlucky person, you can look back at their choices and say the constant here is that person typically makes bad choices. What about lucky people? Okay. You can, you can be born with a silver spoon in your mouth and be very unlucky. Or you can be born in, uh, you know, as a hillbilly and climb out of that and become a, a Harvard attorney by making good choices. So that's what it's really about to me. And yes, there are certain segments that have a prejudice that hold those choices back. But then again, you know, you've got to be able to climb out of the hole you're in if nobody else is reaching down there to grab your hand and pull you out. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love uh, uh, Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck. When you said uh, a, a hillbilly that climbs out and makes something of their life, that's literally the plot of Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck. He's uh, like a hillbilly, it is. and he becomes like a naval air force. Uh, I forget what 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 branch of the military he's in, but he becomes something, and and uh, I, it's such a good movie. But um, <laughs> there, well, there I am going off on side tangents. But you know yes. what? It's such a shame, Jeff, that that we have to because you have to go see your movie. I know. I got to go to a movie. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this. But you know what? Last time we talked, uh, we had two and a half hours of an interview. You were only with the software at the time able to to broadcast two hours up, but you edited it nicely down so that the meat and potatoes was there. And I really enjoyed that. You know, I love it. And, and we had a lot of good positive feedback from it. And it, at the end of the day, what I what I really pushed at that interview that I want to come across here is is how lucky I've been. You know, and we're going back to luck. Oh, Jeff was patting himself in the back for making a lot of good choices. Well, there are some choices in there that have made the luck happen. But I've also born into a film business. Uh, I had a, a famous father that had a great reputation as a makeup department head. I had a grandfather that was head of the MGM makeup department for years and responsible for over 100 films, including Wizard of Oz. I mean, that lineage is there. That comes through the door before me and my whatever I have to say does. And, and I'm fortunate for that. That has nothing to do with me. That was Jeff privilege. Okay. White male American heterosexual, whatever you want to call it. I was privileged by having those things. Now, a lot of people would choose not to take advantage of them. I did. I had the right mindset. I think like a business person, I'm good with people. I had a lot of drive and that's the one thing you see over and over when you look at uh, CEOs and such. They're not always doctorates with multiple degrees. They're the people that had the drive. They're the people that said, no, I don't, I don't accept that as, 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 as the way I was raised. Going back to Hillbilly, I, I, I talk about that because the movie Hillbillyology that came out a few months back that I thoroughly enjoyed about this Hillbilly family true story about a, a guy that wrote this book and he was on the track of problems, drugs, bad behavior. He was born and raised in a, in a, in a, in a you know, a shitty neighborhood. And he had a grandmother that was driven and strong that pushed, pushed, pushed him because he was smart to pull away from those kids, to go back to school. He went to Harvard and now he's a successful attorney. And Ron Howard did this film. When the book came out, it was highly praised all the way around. 
by all segments. But now in the woke community, it was put down because it shows a white person from poverty climbing through the ranks. We don't have room for those stories right now. And that bothers me because it's a good story that should be told. And why attach white to it? I attach anybody that comes from a shitty background that has good mentors around them and the drive to climb out of that shitty background and make something of themselves. We can all do that. That's the, that's the, the take I took out of hillbillyology. Huh. Is that, uh, is that easily found? Like, can you find easily that easily? Found. It came out a few months ago. Okay. Uh, Ron Howard directed it. Amy Adams, Glenn Close, great makeup film because Amy Adams looks like a drugged out, um, meth addict was supposed to be in it from there. Uh, Glenn Close has an unbelievable look to her because she looks so ratty. She's got this great ratty ass wig on. And they were pushing for that for, for an Academy Award because it's a strong makeup film. And it's really well acted. You know, it was uh, one of those films that when you look at um, Rotten Tomatoes, you see it as like a 90%, I'm just guessing here, like a 90% audience appreciation, but something like a 20 or 30% um, um, critic. So the woke community put it down, but the average person loved the film. And if this woke community wasn't around like it is right now, and this movie came out a couple of years ago, it would have been more successful and more appreciated by the masses. Yeah. And uh, trust me, I have a lot of shit that I want to that I want to talk to you about. But uh, I know you have to get going here. And uh, I just all I know is I want to say, please come back on real, real soon. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm uh, I'm free for the next few months, possibly if the business still stays slow. All right. Um, if the phone rings and I got a big show coming up, I'm just I'm out of here. And that's hard to catch me. But um, yeah, we can talk in the next few months or we can talk in the next few years. I clearly have a lot to say about things. I love um, it. I try to stay as neutral as possible to, to, so most of the people can relate, and I have as few haters as possible. But I do have strong opinions, and I do have a lot of experience in the film business. So at one point, we'll get back to that subject, because that's something that I truly can stand by is pure experience and not just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But it's always fun to get away from that because I, I did so much of that with my other podcast. So it's really good to have somebody who is in the film industry, but come on. And then we, we literally just filled an hour talking about really important stuff and not saying film isn't important, but it's always good to get, you know, those other perspectives. And, and, uh, all I got to say is, uh, I really enjoyed this. So, uh, enjoy your movie and let me know how it is. I certainly will, and let's talk again soon, Eddie. I love what you're doing with uh, these podcasts, what you did before, what you're doing now. I hope your audience is, is growing exponentially, as it should be, and I hope we continue doing these for many more years. Yes, thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Jeff. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.